Okay, welcome everybody, and thanks so much for giving today. You know, I was having a little chuckle uh, while the service was, uh, you know, going with worship, you know. I was running around a little bit, and just just thinking about the season that we're in. It's just crazy. I was just telling some friends out back there that we tr we're trying to ma manage four sound systems at the moment. We've got the one inside the auditorium here. We've got the one that you guys are listening to online. Welcome, guys, through the studio. We set up a little speaker outside there. Then we've got the ones running in the foyer, and it's just like crazy. We're just running around trying to manage everything. And then when I got to the front, I was like, let me quickly check if the YouTube stream is working and say how's it to the people online there. Let me check if the Facebook one's working. Hello, guys. How are you there? enjoy the service. It's just crazy times, eh? And we've just got to roll with the punches, and God is still working. God is still moving. But thanks for those that are here in the room with us today. It really helps. I don't know what Cyril's going to say tonight, apparently speaking. Uh, I really hope that he doesn't cut the gathering from 50 to nothing, because it isn't nice talking just to a camera. I promise you, it's so nice to have real faces in front of us. But anyway, it is what it is, and uh, God is still working. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us today or maybe new to our church, we've um, been doing a series. We started off with the prodigal God, and we looked at the, the story of the prodigal son. And uh, the word prodigal means reckless, just like extravagant. And we actually figured out that God is the prodigal one, and he's extravagant. Then I kind of felt like it, it deserved the response. What is our response to God? back for the love that he's given us, and there should be a prodigal response back to him, and we looked at worship, the woman who wept over Jesus, and, and her tears fell on her feet, and then true to the name of the series, it became the prodigal series, and it just was ongoing, and then we um, were led to the scripture in Micah 6, 8, which says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires you to do, and it's to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And uh, we, in week three of the series, we looked at what it means to walk humbly, and that was Colin who preached that one. And then last week, uh, don't you think Lauren spoke so well, first time preaching, and she spoke about um, what it is to do the right thing or, or to live justly, which was just fantastic. And, um, and then today, we're going to be looking at what it means to love mercy. So this... Uh, series has, has just kind of evolved and developed. And do you know this scripture, Micah 6, it's amazing how God confirms things for us as pastors when we feel to speak into something. Uh, a friend of mine posted this scripture just yesterday. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then Colin sent me a, a, a graphic from a, a church in America that we are, are connected with, Life Church. And I don't know if they're doing a series or have just started teaching on this, but they posted this scripture as well. You know, walk humbly, love mercy, and to do what is right, which is just amazing. So for us, it's real confirmation. So today we're looking at what it means to love mercy. And aren't you grateful that God speaks to us nicely and kindly? Because when he said we need to walk humbly, act justly, love mercy, he basically could have told us, like, you're full of pride, you're selfish, and you're self-righteous. He could have told us that. You know what I mean? But he told us in a nice way. And I uh, am a words of affirmation person, meaning that's my love language. I, I like just to be nice to me with her words. Just even if I'm in trouble, tell me nasty, okay? Um, and, and sometimes Jen will tell me something and she goes, well, I'm just being honest. I'm like, I know, but it's, it's, it's sore. It hurts, you know? <laughs> so are we grateful that God, like in his love and his grace and his mercy, just speaks kindly to us and he says, I want you to walk humbly as opposed to you're full of pride. You know, I want you to um, act justly as opposed to you're selfish. You just think about yourself. I want you to love mercy as opposed to you're self-righteous, 
and you think you've got it all together and you don't want to show grace and mercy and kindness to other people. I'm just grateful that God speaks to us kindly. And uh, I really want to encourage you today um, with uh, this whole concept of loving mercy. And it just feels like humanity hasn't really learned. You know, there's... The issues that they spoke about in the Bible days just seem to be ongoing. You know, we're dealing with the same issues today. I mean, you look at the refugee crisis, you look at xenophobia, and you look at the hate that is going on, and it's like, I think more than ever, we need to love mercy and be intentional to ask God to give us a heart that is merciful. How many of you have ever been caught doing something wrong? Anyone? Okay, this is church, so don't lie, because I'm going to catch you right now for doing something wrong. Okay, we've all been caught for doing something wrong, whether it's speeding. Has anyone been stopped by the cops before? I speak Zulu, so it's really nice. Sometimes, uh, you know, I just have a chat to them in Zulu and tell them I'm in Fundis and Kolis, and I'm sorry, we talk about music, and I'm, I don't, I'm not, but you know, in South Africa, you can get let off fines, you know, without paying money. You just speak nasty. And I've been let off so many fines. But the one time I, I was chatting to this guy and I told him I'm a pastor and I'm really sorry I shouldn't be speeding. And he says, you're a pastor. He says, I'm a lay preacher myself. I'm going to find you properly now. He says, because you shouldn't be speeding. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we've all been caught doing something wrong. I, I remember a story. Uh, my parents had gone overseas. I think they left us for three months or something, you know. They would often just leave us as kids and travel overseas. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they had to. I mean, I'm lying. I'm joking. Um, but uh, my, mom, uh, my mom's mom, we used to call her Gaga, uh, came and looked after us. And Gaga... Uh, well, you can see where my mom's strictness comes from, just, just so you know, okay? So Gaga was actually really strict, and she was looking after us, and she made us dinner the one night, and it wasn't my mom's home, cook, uh, you know, home cooking food, and it was something different, and I wasn't so keen on what we were eating for dinner. But now I was in a bit of a dilemma because we had to eat our dinner because my mom had said, only give us a sweet if we finished our vegetables, but I was battling through these vegetables and they were cold now and sitting there. So I came up with a plan. I will go, I will tell her that I want to go get seconds. But when I go get seconds, I'll quickly scrape the, the rest and, and just tell her that I ate it in the kitchen. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, you know. I mean, you know, I'm probably about eight years old at the time. thought it was a great plan. So anyway, I, like, I tell her I'm going to go get seconds. I creep through to the kitchen. And then instead of going to get seconds, I quickly go through to the scullery and I quickly start scraping the food. Well, I don't know where Gaga came, came from because she was like a thief in the night and she wasn't small, if you know what I'm saying. And I got such a crack over my ear. Whoops. I don't know. I was like, I got such a fright. I spilt the food everywhere. I was like, where did you come from? And she had crept around the other side. There was two ways to come into the kitchen. And she came and she caught me throwing away my vegetables. Okay. So we've all been caught for, uh, doing something wrong. And uh, from a, on a more serious kind of note, uh, you know, with pastoring, many times people feel so bad or condemned because they feel like they've been caught doing something wrong or, you know, we have to have a, a conversation, a difficult conversation with people just helping them through their choices. Perhaps, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a marriage that's taking strain, someone's had an affair, or maybe someone's made some really poor choices. And why I love the job that I, I have as a pastor, it's difficult in many ways, but I love it so much because I believe God is a God of the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth chances. He is always wanting to show mercy towards us. And, and I just love that. Regardless of whether we've been caught for doing something wrong, God is a God of second chances. And um, I want to look at mercy today and what it really means. And there's so many different angles to look at this message today, but I've decided to uh, approach uh, 
from, from two stories in the Bible, which I get to in a moment. But mercy is kindness. We, we sang about it. Surely love and mercy will follow me to be your peace and kindness. Um, but mercy is, is more specific, I think, than just general kindness. Mercy in the dictionary is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender. It's compassion, it's pity. So mercy is more specific. It's around kindness or compassion towards some, someone that has done something wrong. Maybe even offended you or done something against you or has just made some poor choices. Mercy, in essence, is forgiveness. So at its core, it's forgiveness. And the Bible is, is basically that. The Bible is mercy because it's, it's about a loving God you know, showing love towards us as, as sinners. I mean, that's mercy in itself. I, I heard this quote, mercy is a love that responds to a human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. Mercy is, is grace. And Jesus was the most beautiful picture of mercy. Uh, Pope Francis said this, Jesus Christ is the face of God's mercy. As we know, Jesus came to this earth in human form and he became flesh, he became a man, and he was basically the face of mercy. So mercy matters, it's really important. And talking about what matters, the word of God matters, and um, as a church here, we never ever wanna preach fluff to people. You know, just, we, we really wanna preach truth. It's one of our values, worship, excellence, servant heart, truth, and love. We always wanna preach the truth and love. And these two stories today that I'm gonna share, I think will really, really challenge us. And um, you know, uh, we, we can give you all the nice, fun stuff, um, but, you know, and all the encouraging stuff all the time, but, I, you know, that's often just fluff. And how many of you agree that you don't like the fluff, especially on the top of a coffee? You know, I don't know, I'm a bit of a coffee snob at the moment. You know, if you've, have you had a coffee like this where it's like burnt? It's like burnt and it's all like horrible, or you get a coffee like that. It's like, no, no, I didn't ask for lemon meringue, I asked for coffee, okay? I know the Italians like it like that. The, the other one with the burnt one looks like a creme brulee. But, jeez, um, I used to drink tea like six years ago. Anyway, but we don't want to give that to you. We want to give something, um, you know, that, that is solid, that, that is, you know, for a good coffee, you need something that's smooth, something well-rounded, that has a little bit of punch to it, a little bit of a kick to it, that is actually going to impact you. And a good coffee as well gives you a little bit of a caffeine kick. Is that right? Okay, so you ready for a little bit of a, a Bible kick today? Now, Jesus was always clashing with the Pharisees. Remember from week one of the prodigal series, uh, prodigal God, and how the, the reason why he told that story of the prodigal son was because of who was listening to the story. And Jesus clashed with the Pharisees all the time. They were always trying to catch him out, and he was always trying to teach them something. But the first one I want to look at is in Matthew 9 from verse 9. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were really looked down upon, actually. They, were, they, they often stole money from people and they were quite shunned. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other uh, Distributable sinners. Now, I remember I said to you a couple of weeks ago, like it was 
common custom that if there was a teacher or a rabbi in town, that other people could come in and just listen to the conversation. Remember the story of the woman at Jesus' feet? She was a prostitute, and she came in and just listened to the stories of Jesus. So all these other people come in, and, and some versions of the Bible speak about them being like outcasts or just the scum, actually some versions of the Bible speak, come in and have dinner with Jesus. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was so sharp. Eh? These Pharisees got like stumped. You know, you know when I was uh, at Highbury uh, many years ago, if you won an argument, we used to do this thing, you'd say block shot. You know, in cricket, like if you block the guy, so the guy's trying to bowl you out and you just block him. And if, uh, you know, especially if he bowls like a, a really like a, a in-swing of balls coming at your feet, all you got to do is block it to get out of being caught out. And Jesus almost like just block shotted. Did, did, did anyone ever say that? I know you probably did. No? Did anyone ever do that in an argument? We used to do that. Used to irritate, block shot block shot and the guy would just get so cross you know as you're arguing with him okay so Jesus did this all the time to the Pharisees okay and he said this um, healthy people need a doctor uh, healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do then he added now go and learn the meaning of the scripture just remember those two words now go because to the Pharisees right then he was like you guys need to wake up you need to go like urgently and go do something he says now go okay and uh, learn the meaning of the scripture and he was so clever that he quoted a lot of the Old Testament scriptures because um, the Pharisees were very affair with the scriptures, okay? They grew up learning the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, and then he just drops it in there because he knew the word of God. And he says this, um, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Offer sacrifices was, was the right thing to do, was the just thing to do, was the obedient thing to do. So these Pharisees were very used to offering sacrifices. But in the Old Testament, he pops in a scripture that says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Because they were all about offering the sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And it's amazing how, I mean, God led me to the scripture, and it's amazing how it ties in so well with even the prodigal son. Remember, it was the older son who thought he was the right one, but he was still lost. Do you remember in the story a few weeks ago with the woman at Jesus' feet? The Pharisees, like, looked down at her, and it was those people, it says here in, in, in that particular story, it said, but those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Those who assume, those who think, you know, so often we think we've got it all together, but we actually need help. And that's who Jesus came for. Religion, I'll say this again, focuses on the sinfulness of a person, but faith sees the glory of the one who forgives and heals. You see, religion blinds our eyes, so we, we, we battle to see our need for a Savior. And the Pharisees were so blinded, they did not see their own faults and flaws. And then the second scripture I wanted to just unpack a little more today is the one I really felt led to. And actually doing a lot of study around this message this week on mercy, it was amazing how much this particular scripture came up. It's just the most perfect picture of mercy. And it's a scripture from John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. 
and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. This is a pretty famous story, and maybe some of you have heard it before, maybe some of you hadn't, but it's, it really is such an incredible story. So picture the situation. Jesus is, is kind of there in the temple courts area. It's kind of like the, uh, the area where a lot of people hang out, and he's just busy having a lack of time. He's teaching people. People are learning from him, and all of a sudden, these Pharisees bring a woman that's been caught in adultery, okay? Now, some versions say she was caught in the act, so potentially this woman would have been dragged in. Can you picture the scenario here? Maybe half-clothed, I don't know. Completely shamed, dragged in, brought in front of all these people. Imagine how embarrassing that would be. I remember for my Bill's party, it was quite embarrassing. They, they'd put me in a bear shoe. You know what a bear shoe is? Like this animal skin at a ball and chain. And uh, I had to go busk at the pavilion at like 10 to 8 before the 8 o'clock show movie. And in those days, that was like the place to be, right? And they they. Uh, untuned the guitar for me. It was so embarrassing. And then they took me down to Joe Cools. Do you remember Joe Cools? And I had to Zulu dance outside Joe Cools. It was really embarrassing. And I can only imagine, I mean, on another level, how embarrassed this woman must have been half clothed, dragged before, caught in the act of adultery. But I don't know where you're from, but all I know is it takes two for adultery, right? I don't know where the guy was. So you see now the Pharisees are not actually interested or cared one bit in the woman. All they wanted to do is try and prove a point. And, and you're going to see what they wanted to try and do and prove a point against Jesus. So they cared nothing for, for the woman. All they wanted to try and do was build a case against Jesus. Now you can imagine this lady there, the voices of condemnation even in her. She's now being dragged in here. My life's over. You know, um, I'm embarrassed in front of the whole community, the whole town. There's no way back for me. Um, I don't know if you've had those voices in your head before, you know, when you've done something wrong or you've been caught doing something wrong. It's like, there's no way back for this. I call myself a Christian and I feel so bad. Do you have those voices in your head sometimes? And God's never going to forgive me. I'm not worthy. Also, you don't even have to be caught to feel that sense of shame. Sometimes just the fear of being caught, doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, you have that same, those same voices of condemnation. And I don't think we should limit this particular story or the, the lesson in the story just to, to sex shame. But I think there's shame in so many other areas in our life. It, it can be even shame over overeating. It can be shame of overspending. It can be the shame of substance abuse, which is a more common one. You know, we often go to those, you know, drinking or drugs. It can even be the shame that we experience when we lose our temper and we get angry and we feel embarrassed about why we acted like that. I mean, we all feel different types of shame. So you can imagine this woman, she's been dragged in now. And let's pick up the verse. It says, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus. You can just imagine how, just picture the situation, guys. She's been dragged in half naked. They made her like stand up, stand before Jesus, who is like now the picture of, you know, God. And says, and, and they say this, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? She would have known full well what the law of Moses would have said. So not only does she have this guilt and condemnation, but the fear of being stoned to death. I can't even imagine a worse way to die. Like, I think about how I would like to die. And like, I think like in my sleep, like when I'm like 112 or something, I don't know. And, and I've got to die before gin. Okay. 
But like to get my, sh- my leg bitten off by a shark or first nibble my toe, then my foot, then my leg and then take my arm. I can't imagine anything worse. When I go to the bush, uh, like a lion taking you and chewing on your leg first. I, I just oh, I can't. So I got a friend who's actually a professional hunter. He said, Hilt, if I'm going to go, I want a lion to take me. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, are you joking? But anyway, I think on all of those, to be stoned to death. I mean, can you imagine the first stone? Ow. The next one, ah, and then the next one, and then there's a bigger one, then there's a brick that comes, and I mean, you just stub your toe, you know, like, I I can't imagine the pain of being stoned to death, like, at what point do you, like, start to die? Do you know what I mean? So this woman, you can imagine the fear, and and now brought before Jesus, and she's guilty. According according to the law, you know, the law of Moses, she was guilty, Uh, and in Jewish culture, it was it was one of the top three sins, this type of sin, and it was, you deserve stoning. And if Jesus agreed, he would have lost his reputation of being loving. But if Jesus forgave, he was basically condoning adultery. You see what the Pharisees were trying to do. They were trying to to catch him. And I read this interesting article about this. Listen to this. It says, so if Jesus were to have mercy on the woman by arguing against her stoning, then he would be shown to be unjust and therefore unrighteous. This would enable them to charge him with being against the law of Moses because they were trying to build a case against Jesus. On the other hand, if Jesus were to agree with the law and her stoning, then Jesus would be shown to be unmerciful. This would undoubtedly cause him to lose influence with people as he was loved precisely because of his gentleness. So here was a, a hell of a situation a scenario for Jesus, but he was too clever for all of them. They were always trying to catch him, but he was too smart. And he turns it onto the accusers. And he says this. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love the scripture. because I've never actually preached on it, but I've always in my mind, because the Bible text, we don't like watch it like a movie, I'm just intrigued to know what happened in that moment. There's so many different commentaries, so many different theories around what Jesus was actually doing. It just says that he bent down and he wrote in the ground. Some say that he bent down out of humility and he actually bent down to get down onto the level of the lady that had probably been thrown to the ground just to identify with her and and that, that was justice and mercy right there, getting down to her level because these proud, self-righteous Pharisees were standing up with their chests out. Some say that he just bent down and he didn't react straight away, that he just took, you know, you know, what you, you, know you just doodle when you like, got some time on your hands and you just draw pictures. Some of you do that in meetings that you should be listening in, but you just start to draw. Sometimes I do that. I might be a bit ADD. I don't know. So they say maybe Jesus did that just to give some time because people are very aggressive and angry. What did he write, I wonder? Some people said that maybe he drew a picture. Um, Some people say that he may have uh, written out a passage of the law, like a passage like the one I just read you earlier about mercy. Some say that he may have started to write the names of the accusers. Now some of you are saying, well, why would he do that? Remember, the accusers were the Pharisees, and they were very, very familiar with the law. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 13, listen to what it says. Lord, this is now the Old Testament. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you, 
So it's not the woman that's going to be put to shame, but those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. That was almost like Jeremiah was a prophet and he spoke about the names will be written in the dust. Some say maybe, I don't know, I get quite excited thinking about that, that Jesus at that, it was like, this is the moment where I'm going to fulfill that prophecy where I'm going to write the names of the accusers in the dust. And he just starts to write the names of the Pharisees in the dust. I don't know, maybe he could have done that. Uh, later manuscripts actually start to allude to the fact that he was writing the sins of the accusers. Can you imagine that? Just starts to, I don't know, Theo. Okay, liar. Okay, I'm not saying you are. <laughs> but just starts to write the sins of the accusers and he just puts an arrow. <laughs> and then he just writes, Alan. <laughs> Won't start to divulge yours, Okay. <laughs> And he just puts an arrow. I don't know. The normal Greek word used for, for writing down is a word called graphen. Okay? But here, in this particular story, it was a different Greek word that was used. It was katagraphen, which means to write down a record against someone. Very interesting. So this is why I'm starting to think that Jesus just didn't doodle on the ground, but he actually wrote something very intentionally in the, in the dust. It, it was when you wrote something against an accuser. Can you imagine the situation? It, it gets quiet, eh? They're like shouting, you need to, you know, she needs to be stoned, she's been caught in adultery, and then he just starts to write, and then everything goes quiet. Well, it says they kept pestering and they kept questioning for a while, but as he started to draw again, it went quiet. Listen to what it says. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, this is also very interesting when I looked into this. Most of the Pharisees could have potentially thought that they were without sin, that they were perfect. But the particular word that Jesus used here, without sin, he actually referred to a different type of word. He basically spoke about it's even if you're wanting to sin. So if any of you without even the desire or the hint at sinning, because all the Pharisees would have struggled with the temptations. And Jesus says, if you are without even the hint of sinning, throw the, throw the first stone. Now, I'm a pastor and sometimes they think that pastors don't sin or want to sin. But we, <laughs> all of us, all humanity, the Bible says all have sinned. We all mess up. We all want to do something wrong. Every one of us. So basically, Jesus was very clever and intentional because the Pharisees thought that they never sinned. But he uses this word, even if you wanted to. I've got to be honest. There's sometimes when I'm driving, I'm, I'm working on that, guys. I get a little bit impatient, and sometimes I want to just wave at them nicely. Or I want to just, the other day it was so funny, Jonah left his BB gun on the side of my uh, door, and it looks like a real gun, and somehow cut me off. Ooh, I wanted to just pick up that gun and just tap it on the window. <laughs> but I didn't, okay? I wanted to sin, but I didn't. You can imagine that guy like, just speeding off, unless he pulled out a real gun. I don't know, this is South Africa. So instead of passing a sentence on the woman, he turned it to the men. You see, 
they had plotted, uh, you know, her shame and her, and her sin. And they were using her, they were using her as a weapon against Jesus. So Jesus was even hinting at that. That in itself, just what you've done here is already sin. And Jesus, Jesus exposed something in man. And I think even today, guys, let this hit you. There is a deep desire within man to want to punish people for, for, for their sin, to punish the sins in others while ignoring our own. How often do we do that? We, we revel sometimes in, in other people's mistakes. Or, or we, we think that other people need, you know, they do something wrong and we forget the fact that we've done it as well ourselves, but we want them to be punished for it. And that's not mercy. And again, it says here, if we look back at the scriptures, he stooped down. Some say even in the word that they've used that he stooped down was showing such a sign of humbleness and respect even to the woman that he stooped down and he wrote again in the ground because these people, the Pharisees were still around. At this, I love this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The oldest ones first. Maybe the oldest ones were just clever and they were like, you dumb young people still hanging around here. I'm out of here. Like, I'm getting out of here. Or maybe just... Um, they had many more sins that Jesus wrote in the ground. I don't know, but they started to leave first until only Jesus was left. Everyone just dispersed. With the woman standing there, then Jesus straightened up. I love the, the imagery here. You know, he bowed down, but then he straightens up. Now he is the only righteous one, actually. And he straightens up because that's how these Pharisees used to walk around like so self-righteous. But Jesus now straightens up and he asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. You can imagine the, the, the tremor in her voice. I mean, this is, this is a crazy moment. And then he says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. She deserved condemnation, but Jesus gave her mercy. And I love Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, remember I told you earlier, go now, to remember those two words, he now says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. But this particular go now is maybe not the one that you're thinking of. Like, go now and leave your sin. You know, sometimes how a parent like, um, you know, uh, disciplines a child. But what he was basically saying here is now you are free. You're free to go. Now you can leave your sin. You can leave your shame behind because I have shown mercy to you. Now you are free. Isn't that amazing? Now go, go and live this blessed life. You, there is no shame. There is no condemnation. Sin has been defeated right here in this moment because I don't condemn you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then the verses after that, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this. And this is where the scripture comes from, which is a famous one. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And right there in that moment, there was a dark hole for that lady. And he just shone the light right on that situation. And it isn't amazing when we've done something wrong that we just feel like it's, it's like things close in and we feel dark, but Jesus came just to bring light into those situations. Mercy is bringing light into people's dark, dark worlds. That's what it is. That's what mercy is. 
When people have done something wrong, they feel so ashamed, they feel so dark, and even if it's you today, mercy shines a light into that and brings you out of the darkness. And I'm not going to be much longer today, but I was having a, a think around the double standards that we, have, that we have, and those Pharisees left because basically they had double standards. And I find it amazing how we judge <laughs> uh, people and situations so much, but we don't look at ourselves. Like, I don't know if you've ever been driving and there's someone, use my driving uh, stories again, and, and someone like overtakes you on the left-hand lane and then cuts in front of you and just speeds off. What is the thought that you have? I hope that person gets caught. Don't you have that thought, all of us, right? But then there are times when you've been rushing somewhere to a meeting or to the airport or wherever you're going, and what is your thought? I hope I don't get caught. It's amazing how we have double standards. And Matthew uh, speaks about this so well. Um, he says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same judgment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. I love the way that the message describes it. It's just going to come back to you. And that's what happened with these Pharisees right then and there when Jesus wrote in the ground. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly smear on your own. Have you ever been in a situation like, oh, you got somewhere in your face, you got food in your mouth, and meanwhile you got like some cake on the side of your chin, you know? And he says, yeah, do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly smear off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. How powerful is that? And lastly, um, Matthew 18 um, speaks about, it's a parable of the unmerciful servant. And this parable is so powerful, I don't have time to go into it today, but it's basically how this wealthy man had let the debt go of this, this one particular guy and set him free. I mean, he could never have repaid it. But then this guy who had been set free from his debt went and didn't let go the debt that he was owed by other people. And Jesus refers to him as an unmerciful servant. You've been shown mercy, but you can't show mercy to other people. And for us as Christians, guys, God wants us to show mercy. God, Jesus was such a picture of mercy. He healed the sick. He welcomed strangers. He, he pardoned those that persecuted him. Even when they killed him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's mercy to another level. And in today, as we wrap up the series, when I think about love mercy, don't just love mercy for yourself, but love to show mercy. It's so easy to go, oh, I love mercy. Surely love and mercy, you know, peace and kindness. We sung about it, well, follow me. That's amazing, God. But then we can't love mercy to other people. It's not just for ourselves. Mercy is also to love others. It says love mercy, love on others with mercy. And because I'm a pastor, I had to come up with points, right? But they're so simple. They're four. Self-reflect today and receive his mercy. And I think about Luke 18 when the tax collector stood at a distance, he said, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And he said, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think we need to do that. Those are the first two steps. Self-reflect. We need mercy, all of us. 
and receive His mercy. His mercy is free. It's for you here today. But then I think there's step three and four, which is self-reflect again. Because sometimes we can become self-righteous when we've received mercy. But we need to self-reflect again and then give His mercy. I mean, those are four simple things. Self-reflect, receive His mercy. Then self-reflect and give His mercy. Because so often we forget about that part. We've been shown grace and mercy by an amazing, loving God, but we don't want to show it to other people. And, you know, growing up, this is a prayer that maybe for those of you who went to like a traditional Christian school of sorts, we would say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, right? But I think we've lost the value of the words and sometimes we've just forgotten about what they actually mean. But what is one hugely important line in the Lord's Prayer, and this is how Jesus taught us to pray, and this is how we're going to end today to pray, is it says, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You cannot, it's, it's actually just disgraceful to receive God's grace and mercy for yourself and not offer it to other people. It's actually impossible. How can you expect God to forgive you and you can't forgive someone else? And mercy is forgiveness. And as we wrap up the cereal, cereal, series, I love cereal. Uh, <laughs> the, the guys are going to save that one in the media team at the back there. Um, as we wrap up the series uh, today, um, let's, let's be intentional around that church. Let's just ask God, as we are a sinner saved by grace, beating our chest, God, thank you so much. Let's not be selfish and just keep that for ourselves. But every opportunity that we have, when we see other people that just need some mercy, that yes, they're in the wrong. Maybe someone has wronged you. And when we look at the world today, there is so much hurt and pain because of the wrong that people have done. But for us as believers, for, for us as sinners saved by grace, we surely should show mercy to others. Be kind and merciful to other people. And it's so easy to get frustrated and angry and self-righteous and you shouldn't. But God's just saying to us today, that same accusation that you are pointing is gonna come straight back at you like a boomerang. Let's take a moment as we close the service today just to pray and reflect. Father, we thank you so much for the series. Thank you for teaching us what it means to be prodigal to be extravagant. It doesn't make sense sometimes. And even as we've looked at mercy today, sometimes when people have wronged us or hurt us, it doesn't make sense to forgive them. But God, would you help us by your spirit, by your grace, the love of Christ, the way that you walk would be working and moving in and through us, God, that we would have the same heart, Lord Jesus. When we see the brokenness and the pain, and, and Lauren spoke about it last week, that, would, that we would cross to the other side, that we would look out for opportunities to help people. But even more than that, God, when we see people that are in the wrong, people that have done things that they shouldn't, where people feel shame and guilt, condemnation, God, would you use us as believers, as your church, as an opportunity for mercy, as an opportunity for restoration, opportunity to be free, God, would your love shine in and through us, Lord Jesus. There is so much darkness in the world and we see that story how you just shone your light into that situation. You turned that situation around. 
And Lord, when we look at the world today and we see all the hate, all the brokenness, we see all the anger, we see all the frustration and people wanting to destroy each other with words and even physically destroy each other. We look at all the racial tension, all the political tension. We look at everything that's going on. And all the world needs is a little more mercy. Because hey, someone might be different to you. Someone might actually have it wrong. But Lord, would you teach us to show mercy? And even today, would you highlight people, would you highlight situations in our lives where there is an opportunity for mercy? Where there legitimately is an opportunity for retaliation and for anger and frustration? Lord, thank you that we would not react, but we would respond. We would take the time for your love to work in and through us, God. Teach us today, God, what it is to love mercy. And today as I close, just my final prayer, if there is anyone here today or maybe you are watching online, live with us now or later, and I just want you to know that God has shown mercy towards you. You may have done some stuff. You maybe lived your life on your own. You're guilty. You, you, you feel bad for the way that you've lived your life, conducted your life. Maybe even right now, you're in a bit of a dark hole. I just love that God wants to show you mercy today. And all you need to do is receive it. It's a free gift. So if you're in the room here today or online, I wanna pray a prayer for, for, for you just to recommit or to commit your life back to God and ask God to come and live in your heart to show His kindness and His mercy to you. So if you've never prayed a prayer like that before and you'd like to pray it, I'd love to just know who I'm praying with. And if there is anyone in the room today, you can just pop up your hand quickly and maybe you've walked away from God. Thank you, there's a hand outside there. Maybe you um, have never prayed a prayer like this before and you'd like to pray it. Anyone else wanna pray a prayer like that today? saw one hand going up and maybe you're online with us today and you're saying I need to pray this prayer Hilt. let's pray it together all nice and loud dear Lord Jesus thank you for showing me mercy today I'm sorry for my past and I ask you to forgive me thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free and from today Lord I make you Lord of my life I put you first and I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.